You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On this episode, again, it's one of my greatest indulgences to be sitting here with someone that I've admired normally from an audience seat, <laughs> looking at you on stage, Rachel, but you would have to be one of our most well-renowned actresses on Australian stage, yeah. and we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up for you, but welcome to the Think Brick podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so delighted to be here. I never thought I would be on a podcast of this calibre. Rachel, before we get started, can you just tell our audience a little bit about your childhood? Because you started quite early in theatre. Mm, I did, actually. I grew up in Alstonville, or Duck Creek Mountain, as it's formerly known, or known to the locals. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure why. There are no ducks there. But it's near Ballina and Byron Bay. And when I was growing up, all there were were dancing schools. You either rode horses or danced. Mm-hmm. And so I danced mm-hmm. and did all of the Steadfords, little country town, Then when I was 13, my dad took me up to Brisbane, which was five hours drive in those days, to audition for Cats when I was 13. And um, I auditioned and auditioned and kept going. And they said, oh, what's she doing there? My dad said, we've driven for five hours. Can she just be at the back and use it as practice? And they said, yeah, sure. So in auditions, you dance, they cut half, then you sing, they cut half, then you dance, they cut half. It's quite ruthless. Mm. And I was left at the final four. And they said, oh, you're still here. And I said, yes. (laughs) And they said, like a little upstart. I wasn't really. I was just, I don't know, passionate. And they said, if we find another person under 16, we'll give you the role of Rumpelteaser. But they didn't. And they kept calling me back for auditions and any time they had them. And then by the time it was the final audition, actually the beautiful refurbished Royal Theatre, I was 15 and I knew I'd be 16 by opening night. So on the on the audition form, I wrote old enough and they gave me the role. So I was 15 when I went down to Melbourne, left school halfway through year 10. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. And went to, a, I'd never been to Melbourne. I didn't go with any family members. So it was thrust out into the workforce eight shows a week yeah can I just ask you because I think being so young and doing all that dancing I mean you obviously enjoyed it Mm. but it's such a rejection at that age was that difficult for you because I guess I don't know now whether it's you look at your own children and you think I would hate to put them through that but how did it feel at the time I was pretty damn lucky honestly it was my really my first audition so I, I jumped into that show And then I, while I was doing Cats, I thought to myself, I need to train myself up because I'm not going to a Whopper or a Nida. So Mm. I would do courses with directors and TV acting, film acting. And while I was doing that, a person from the old Crawfords ABC spotted me and said, I'd like you to be in this miniseries. So I did a miniseries with um, Ben Mendelsohn, actually. He played my brother and Robert Colby and Catherine Wilkins and was called This Man, This Woman. And... It was really great. So I jumped into TV. Then I did a Sydney Theatre Company musical. Yes. And then I basically got into Hey Dad. So it was great for me because I started out with my feet in all sorts of different pies. Yeah. And so I wasn't typecast. And the hard auditioning happened probably about five years after I got that first role. So I already had had a taste and... um, it's still really hard. You have to think of it in a way that you do the audition and 
try and walk out of the door and forget about it. And then when you don't get it, you have to sort of say to yourself, well, it, often it's because you don't have the right hair colour or height or you don't match the person opposite you or you don't have the right sounding voice or a different director would go another way. Mm. But it's, it is hard and I try with the people I'm mentoring, I try not to say rejection. I try to say, Sorry. no, no, that's okay because <laughs> because you, you grow up saying that and mm. thinking that but it's actually not. It's just that it wasn't the right fit. Yes. So you in the audition you go and give them what you would do with a role and that this is what I would do and mm. if you don't if, if you don't think this will fit your show well I won't get it but mm. what I mean you're not trying to push yourself into something you think they want you to be. Yes. Yeah it's, it's a real mind game. It's a hard industry. It's I, a hard. It's I really have so hard. much respect it's, and I know rejection was probably the wrong word but but I think because it's one of those things where everyone says well don't take it personally but it is personal because totally. you you can't change your height, right? Like no, <laughs> and you can't change your soul. You yes. can't change the way you sing or the way you are acting. And, yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting. That's why we call ourselves amateur psychologists, yes. actors. A lot of us go into psychology. <laughs> Rachel, just going back to that first Cats performance and you are all by yourself mm. and at this stage you've had limited experience in the theatre. And How, in the world. And in the world, yeah. <laughs> How did What was that like for you? I... Look, I was always really passionate about it and I had very and still had very supportive parents. Look, I, I, I've got a fifth, almost a 15-year-old daughter. I'm not sure if I would have let her go on her own down to do a show rolling around with crazy full-on dancers at uh, 15. But In fur. In fur and in, in unitards. It was definitely light and shade. I learnt quickly. It, it's a, one of the hardest shows you can do physically mm. and I think it was great that I did that first up because... It gave me fantastic discipline. And in those days, you just you didn't go off with a sniffle. It's different. But you go on whether you tear your tendon yep. or whether you uh, fall off the stage or in those days you've had a bit of a cold, you just keep going. So, And yeah. worker health and safety is a completely different ball game, I would oh, imagine, totally as well. Totally different, <laughs> totally different. Everything was, you know, brushed under the, yes. under the carpet, so to speak. Yeah, totally. And then when you were saying you sort of went from obviously Cats and then into a movie and then into mm. television, did, was there something that you preferred or was it just all new experiences? Still, when I'm asked that question, I feel lucky that I can go from one to the mm. other. And when I'm doing one, I miss the other. So it's it's good that I can do both. Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing a bit of TV again, but it's a very random industry. It's mm. random. People I know fantastic actors who've been all the way through NIDA acting and I've, I've worked with them and they've blown my socks off but they just don't get that break or they just did they that director just chooses someone else and then they don't get that foot in the door it's interesting the way it works what's the experience like I can imagine seeing you on well I have seen you on stage and then on television mm. what is the experience like for you in those two different mediums? Well, I'm quite expressive as you're looking at my face now, making a lot of a lot of faces. So when I'm doing TV and film, I, I have to bring it bring it back, mm. really bring it back. And it's it's subtle and it's about it's about energy. It's all about energy, but it's much more subtle coming from the same place. But for me, I could never be a straight singer or a straight dancer. I, I express myself with everything. Mm. So I think for me, the discipline of acting only is very interesting. Okay. It's very interesting for me. And it's certainly something that I I do love doing when I get the chance. And straight dancing. I used to just do straight corporate dancing as well. Um, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you've got to be so fit. Oh. Absolutely. And then, yeah. so you get on to Hey, hey Dad mm. and you're there for quite a while. Four years. Yeah. You're obviously 
at this point really coming into your own and mm. what did that impress on you? Look, I know all the, the debacle about Hey Dad, but it was just, it gave so many people joy and mm. I only have such fond memories of yeah. it. In fact, my daughter saw it for, saw one of the episodes for the first time the other day and she, she didn't like it. <laughs> of course, what teenage daughter likes anything their mm-hmm. mother does? It was joyous because mm. the thing about sitcoms is that you get you actually have a live audience as well. So you have the, the reaction from the audience and so you can gauge your performance. The thing with an audience is you can gauge, you can temper your, your performance. Oh, these guys like that style of humour today or, or I'm just going to run through that section because I know they're not listening as much or it's mm. a younger audience or it's an older, older audience. And that's what I love about, about live performing mm. as well. Every audience is different. But with Hey Dad, it was interesting because it's a different kettle of fish because you've got the live audience, so you want the reaction, so you're bigger, but you don't want to be too big so as to look like who, who would it be? It's just some, some crazy clown. Yeah, in the acting, uh, uh, when it for, comes for over acting. on the television, yes. That's yeah, right. So yeah. it's that sort of trying to find that middle line. Yes. Yeah. It's- so you finished that and then where, where are you off to next? Finished. Hey Dad. Hey Dad. Yes. Um, I I think I went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I went. I did me and my girl, which is my first leading role. And then it sort of went. I got on a roll. I did Beauty and the Beast, Beast. and then I did Sound of Music and Les Mis. Gosh, Cabaret. There were lots of lots of different, and also Henry Henry the Fourth with Sydney Theatre Company, which was really great. I like to do more Shakespeare. That'd be good. And also events and corporate events. I love doing one-woman shows. Okay. So I have my show that I do and I still do around Australia and I love telling stories and making jokes and, again, reading the audience and changing songs accordingly. And it's a different style, again, of performance because you have to allow yourself to be vulnerable enough to be totally yourself. Yes. And I learned that watching Todd McKenney. Yes. Over and over and over again. He's a master at it. Mm. And I love I love that. He's he's probably the closest to himself when you see him on stage as any performer yep. I've ever seen. And yeah, he showed me the pathway through to 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 being totally authentic on stage. Rachel, can I ask just out of curiosity because I think that when I was working in the industry we talked about being stage fit and I think everyone's just curious around what kind of preparation do you have to do for those big roles? I mean, just just mentally, physically, what does it involve? Because it involves obsession. Actually. Right. Okay. It's, it's, honestly, it sometimes it feels as though you're running an Olympic race every night. Yes. And my cortisol and digestive system, as a lot of my colleagues are who've played these big roles, is shot mm. because we're always on fight or flight. Mm. And you, a lot of those big roles, say it was Beauty and the Beast, probably Sound of Music as well, you. A lot of us don't talk during the day. Yes. And we just write notes, which is really weird, which is a bit obsessive too, and it makes you feel as though you're you're disjointed with the world, and you you can't you can't go out and go to parties, scream, you certain foods people don't eat, so it's an absolute twenty four hour job. And because you're normally doing it's seven shows, isn't it? Eight with shows. Eight shows, two on the Saturday. Yeah. Sorry? So two on Saturday, two on two Sunday, Sunday sometimes, or two on Saturday, two on Wednesday. Yes, that's it. Sorry. Some yeah. well, for instance, some of them do ten shows a week. So I'll be doing ten shows with uh Wizard of Oz. Yeah. So you really you you find your match fitness in that way. And also you have to be gentle with yourself because yes. you're not a robot. Yeah. So sometimes you'll crack on a certain note or you'll slip up on something or and you, you just have to find a way to not be such a perfectionist. I think people who reach a certain point in their career are perfectionists and then you've actually got to then soften it a bit mm. and realise that you can't 
you have to be at 90 to 100% every single show. Every single show. It's what's deep. the dynamic like working with different people in those leading roles? Like do you have to change the way that you are or do you, does everyone, are there people that you reverberate off naturally? How does that work? Yeah, there are, there are certain people that I have a great chemistry with and yep. it's, just, it's just natural. Mm-hmm. Other people I've worked with quite a few times and that develops. Okay. And sometimes there's just no chemistry. Yeah, okay. and you have to look at their eyes and think of someone else, and that's that's acting. That's acting, or find just something little that you like about them, and make it big. So, you know, it's like just, you could get to the end of the show and like, how much acting I had to do for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen people who don't get along at all on stage, and yes. certain things happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cream pies end up in people's faces. Oh wow! And then just during that time, I know you were sort of saying, and as Olympian, and then there's a lot. Do you are you just resting during that period, or is there a certain amount of physical exercise that you're doing as well, or is that all saved up for the show? No, you do. Look, it depends how physical the show is. Mm. Sometimes it's cats you would never do anything during the day; just walk walk around a little bit. Mind you, I was only sixteen, seventeen, so I ran around, but I I didn't work out. Other shows, such as Singing in the Rain, or Mm. yeah, look, the thing is. The more fit you are physically, the more stamina you have in your show, definitely, and especially if it's the singing and the singing and the acting as well. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it serves you well to work out and be fit for sure. But because it's also the, the fitness thing and the working out thing is for your head. That's right. Yeah. Yes. So I, it's, I, it's the serotonin. I like saying well. that a lot. I, I mm. work and do exercise more for my mental health than for me my, too. Yeah. <laughs> me too. And then just talk us through before in a, a performance. When do you start getting ready? They require you to be in there an hour before. All right. So I'm a bit interesting because I have been known to put in my contract half an hour before. I'm not an over-preparer. I like to walk in, put my makeup on and just walk onto the stage as if it's my normal life. Okay. I feel there's too much pressure. I don't know. It's it's just the way I work. Some people get in two hours before. Okay. If, if it's a big singing role and it requires a lot of like I did the Wharf Review the, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and I had about eight characters. So I came in definitely before the before the one hour, an yep. hour and a half before, because I needed to warm up lots of different parts of my voice and check my accents and do a big physical warm up because it required a lot of, yeah, a lot of concentration. So that was different, but I'm more of a get ready quickly and just walk on. Is that also because you don't want to, is there a lot of drama sometimes that happens behind the stage or behind the scenes that you don't really want to tap into? When you're playing a leading role, you have your own dressing room and and the ensemble usually sort of run amok. You really just have to concentrate. You don't get, you don't enter into any of that. No, You're you're in a zone. You're in a zone. Yeah. I think that for me, what is it? It's interesting. I've, I've, I've thought about this before. I think for me, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself. I almost want to trick myself that it's not a performance. I want to trick myself that this is just part of my daily life. Don't put too much pressure on it. And I think that's when I perform best. Right. Like I'm just walking is. down a hallway. and Just oh, walking down a, a hallway and there's a stage and then I'm going to do this and I know what the lines are. I've already warmed up in the car or when I get to when, when I get to the dressing room, not too much because I've gone the other way. In, in, when I did Sound of Music, it was quite operatic and I warmed up and warmed up and warmed up and Peter Cousins once said to me, Rachel, you're obsessed. This is not good. I can tell that you are not getting into a good headspace, which is so easy to do. He said, I want you to tomorrow come in and not warm up and do this role. And I was so scared. 
do that. But he said, it's the only way you're going you to teach yourself. And, you and I did it. Yeah. I did it and I was fine. I was fine. I, I could feel that my voice was tight, but I went, thanks, Pete, because it, you can get easily obsessive in this industry because it is so esoteric. Yes. It's so esoteric. You can't measure it. You can't, mm. you know what I mean? You can't, you haven't got to calculate. You haven't got the formulas. You as a human being is different every single day. Like when you come off stage and, I mean, for me in the audience, there's some audiences I think that are just so much more demonstrative than others. And it, in states, in cities, and different countries, mm. what what makes a good audience when you perform? Hmm. Wow. Well, if you have a, a matinee audience and it's uh, during the week, it's usually full of pensioners who don't scream and shout and cheer as much as other nights. You can think, oh, well, the show's a bit down today, but it's just that their reaction isn't as big. Mm. Or you might go into a theatre where you're much more further away and you've been to another theatre before that where the audience is close. So you think, oh, hate Perth audiences. But it's actually just that the audience, you, you can't hear it. No, yeah. So I think... I love I love an intimate show. I love hearing that audience reaction. Mm. Some people find that frightening. Some people like to be in a barn and, and it's just black out there. Yeah, right. I, I love all of that. Yeah, that, that audience reaction because then, I, again, I can taper my performance. Definitely reaction is great because you know where you're going, you're being appreciated. But I think if you're doing eight shows a week for a year <laughs> or even three months, you get to know how well the show's going. Yes. So you have to trust it. Yeah. With the, with the ebbs and flows, you've got kids in the audience, they don't get the jokes. Mm-hmm. You've got the older people who don't react as much and you've got the people who stamp and stomp. Yes, maybe it might give us a bit more energy, and but also we might push it too much mm-hmm. when that happens. We might just get a bit too razzle-dazzle. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I think you just have to have faith in, in your rehearsal and your director and, and your craft. And then is there any sort of tips you would give to people I mean I think just the audience plays such an important part and I I feel that when you're presenting or performing to an audience you learn also how to be a better audience participant because you think I would hate someone that sit on their phone or I'm not going to eat what sort of yeah are there some I don't want to turn it into a negative but are there different things people could do that could make them a better audience participant Show your appreciation. I mean, Australian audiences are generally quieter than any other audience around the world. But don't be shy. Like, we can hear you. Yes. We can hear you. Again, we can hear you when you're rattling your chips and when you're eating and you're being noisy and you're talking about, oh, I love that when she did that. I'll wait for this section. Like, that's very (laughs) painful because we can hear everything you're saying. Some people just, it's the theatre etiquette. Some people haven't been to the theatre much and think it's a movie. Mm. So they're loud and they're crunching and they're talking and they're... (laughs) But I think generally that's and, – and teach your kids. Teach your kids a bit yes. of theatre etiquette as well. But, yeah, just be yeah, be loud, be loud, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> I don't know, applause. I always feel that when you go to sort of even New York or London, everyone goes a bit more nuts and so mm. you feel that you can liberate yourself a little mm. bit more. Where is there a particular audience in a particular – show that you've loved the best like i've never been asked that okay. i've got to go back to the to the vault vault that's right <laughs> at the end of be our guest in beauty and the beast when there were huge pyrotechnics and things blasting all over the place that i just thinking about i'm getting goosebumps amazing you were almost levitating from the floor because it had just work up and work up and work up that was pretty exciting every single time me and my girl was really funny, had a lot, a lot of belly laughs, which I love. I love comedy. I did I did Next to Normal, which is a rock musical about a woman who has bipolar and the ricochet effects 
that happened with her family at Black Swan, which is a state theatre company of WA. Yes. And the, re- the, the reaction at Stage Door and the letters I got were phenomenal yeah. because it just told the story and made it real and, and opened opened conversation and, and just normalised it and made people connect and I that that the reaction from that show was was amazing as well, but not so much when you when I was doing the show, but but afterwards. And and the reactions are different as well because not everything is applause worthy. I mean, obviously when I you're playing, you're there and you you're crying and mm. you can't say anything, but obviously you can hear that as well, and that would have that impact. Well, that's the that's the can't hear a pin drop that you've got the audience when that happens. Mm. Still, when I sing Dream a Dream, I, I can get right back to that place. I'm actually singing it the next three nights, which is good. I love singing that song. Yeah. Um, You've performed in all different types of theatres. You you mentioned that the intimate ones were the best, but how does a building or the acoustics change a performance? Ooh, absolutely does. You you walk into some theatres that are built for performance and for voice, and that's a very different space to say, look, I say um, comparatively and... It's just looking around and, and feeling the years and the the feel of, of being in a, in a theatre that is magical or elaborate is a very different experience to one that that is just like a barn. Certainly, there are, there are great spaces to sing in and not so so great places to sing in and behind the stage as well. Yes. Sometimes architects have haven't thought about how the performers are going to prepare and how how much wing space there is or what it's like coming up and down tap shoes. It's it's very interesting, the different spaces and, and who has designed them. You can tell someone who's done their research and who has a creative bent because they will they will have fantastic wing space and and dressing rooms and it'll be easy access for the audience too. So did I tell you I saw the ghost? The Princess Theatre? No. Yeah, the Princess Theatre, another wonderful space. Yeah, Federici, the ghost. I saw him when I was doing Beauty and the Beast. So you've got to tell us now the story behind this. Yes. Well, I was doing Beauty and the Beast at the Princess Theatre in in Melbourne and I was singing Is This Home? And we were teching and I start with my back away from the audience and I turn around and in the second level, there are three levels of the Princess Theatre, beautiful princess, second level, I saw a weird person in a white suit and a white hat clapping slowly with his elbows together just slowly like that and my understudy Daniel Barnes was up there with another person up in that second level and I said and I turned away and I thought that's really weird I think something's weird about that and my eyes filled with water my body had a reaction and then I turned around and he was there again he was still there clapping slowly 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 and I thought I have seen something that is not and That's is this a legend? World. Yes. So right. a lot of people have seen him. Caroline O'Connor saw him in West Side Story. He was sitting on a dustbin on the side of the, on the side of the stage. Wow. Um, like people who have worked in the theatre as ushers, sometimes they've opened the opened the curtain to open up, and his face has been there. He died in Faust, doing Faust, and a trap door didn't open, and he got crushed. Yeah. So. It's the legend of Federici. And I, I said to my friend who was sitting in the second level, did you, was there someone a bit strange sitting mm. in the audience? And she said, no, there was no one there. I said, oh, yeah, there was someone there, definitely. And I spoke to I spoke to the, the producer and they said, oh, you've seen Federici, but he only appears when the show is really good. 
That's what they said anyway. And he said, so, are there ghosts in other theatres that we don't know about? I, I, I don't know. No, right. I actually haven't read up about it. It'd be interesting to read up about it. But, um, yeah, he's, he's loved. He's yeah. loved this ghost. And, look, I have to say, I think every single actor just feels honoured to drive into the opera house, mm. to, to work at the opera house. I mean, that's, that's something else. To do a show at the opera house is, yeah, for an Australian is just the bee's knees. Little night music there, and I've done some big concerts and Christmas concerts there, and yeah, you you think I can't top this. <laughs> and in in that space, in that time, does because of the space, does mm. it matter what the audience is like? Does that make mm. sense? Like when you're just in a space and really, yeah, you're right. I've not thought about it in that way. Perhaps because you're in such a beautiful space such as the Capitol or the Opera House, you just think I'm lucky to be here and mm. this is a wonderful experience. But in a barn or in a in a smaller space that might seem a bit like a box, you're more focused on the audience. Yes. You're right. You're right, actually. I, yeah, I think so. I don't know. Well, I was just curious because when we had the awards and because of everything else, we had them at Benelong mm. and the architects just like this is so cool mm. to be here and you felt that real buzz mm. and then when Josh performed I mean some of them were crying because it was just that everyone was already euphoric because the space is so imposing but in a really positive mm. way see I agree I, it's it's a space can like a performer I've never thought of this as well but like a like a performer when they sing it feels as though we have a direct line to it's a higher vibration and it's a soul thing and it's a direct line to spirit or whatever it's not to be too oogly boogly but it's in a higher place Mm. and I think that you're right when you're in a place such as such as Benelong or the Opera House it is through the architecture it feels as though it's more connection and connected to a higher vibration as Mm. well it Mm. is it is absolutely Opera House comes pretty close Mm. yeah it, it certainly does it adds to it it's like the ground. It's like it's like the it's the padding to the performance. It's the stage. It's the stage and the feel. It sets the scene and it sets the tone. The space sets the tone for the performance, so that when the audience comes in, they are already elevated. If it's if it's amazing and an amazing architecturally designed space, they're mm. already elevated, which is exactly what you you described there so Mm. so it is part of the performance Mm. they're elevated then they become more elevated it's the Mm. whole it's the whole thing it's why they've done up the royal Mm. and if we were to ask you about brick and just what does it what do you think of when you think of brick home i think of home i think of solidarity i think of earth and connection i think of something that's solid and stable and not immovable, but but something that is solid and stable and sturdy and yeah and supportive. That's what mm. I, that's how I feel. No one's ever said that actually. It's really beautiful. <laughs> and so throughout COVID, the performing took a different spin. Mm. What you do a lot of other things. How did you find? Things. How did you find it? For me, I've just realised I've merged two years into one now. I can't distinguish whether it's been 2019, 2020 or 2021. Yeah, look, it's been a different experience for everybody. Certainly for the arts, it's been devastating. And a lot of my friends have left the industry. A lot of producers have packed up. Mm. But I'm industrious and I still taught via Zoom. Mm -hmm. I actually mentor 
I mentor people to handle the media and do interviews live and radio and newspaper interviews to to deliver a precise and clear message, which Mm -hmm. I hope I'm doing now. Uh, now that I've said that, and also help people with keynote speaking. Yes. So okay. a lot of that I could do via Zoom. Mm-hmm. So I did a lot. I did a lot of that, and I just found ways to do workshops still online. People were with kids and adults needed to keep alive creatively, mm-hmm. and so we found a way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and and also just kept on dreaming and working on future projects. But also, well, I have to be honest, it was so hard it's been damn hard and only now because we had that little gap and then and then events mm. and shows came back and then it dropped again that was that was the most devastating part but mm. now I have got a whole year's work in three months but I, I forged through and I kept going and I've got two girls to support so perhaps having the focus of that helped me as well yep it was it was really really tough but I, it's, there's always a light side, light side and to the contrast. Mm-hmm. And the contrast now is I feel so damn lucky and happy that I've got this great work coming back. Yes. And I, I have made lots of contacts with schools and do artist in residencies and bang on to boards about putting funding into building and strengthening their performing and creative arts departments, which I'm passionate about. And I help, I direct musicals and, and so you can't keep me down. No, well, clearly the empathy I have for for performers because they're used to performing. Well, not even used to performing, but it is it is something we have to do. It is something that is our soul. That's right. And it's something that is our bread and butter. What I mean, the way the government sort of has treated us as hobbyists mm. is not good. Yes. On one hand, lauded our creative spirits and then abandoned us. Yeah. So it was really, really interesting time. I mean, I did listen to beautiful Troy Cassadaly do an interview on ABC and he said he just was so dark. He just felt hopeless and helpless and just really didn't want to go on. Mm. And that's that's the man who just won, you know, the aria. And that's right. Golden golden guitars and stuff. So it hit all of us yes. greatly. And you expressed it a lot better. I, my intention was to say it's such a soul-nourishing, performing what you do. Like it, it really yes. is not. It's it's so much more. We have to do it like a painter. Yeah. We have to do it. Yes, it's an, it, it, it's an expression but you also feed off that expression and, mm-hmm. and that's why I sort of feel that's why I had yes. the empathy around it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely because it's not so much that we are defined by what we do and our job it's just that it's actually not that it's actually that we just are mm-hmm. how we are like You're a being. painter like a yeah mm-hmm. that's right and what would you say you, you mentioned that you mentor young people yeah. and, and what would your advice be to them in this industry my advice would be to Look, for parents, my advice would be don't push your child. They need Mm. to push you. It's a hard industry and they need to be hungry and passionate Mm. for all of the knockbacks and all of the the unfair moments where you won't get a chance or a foot in the door. You have to keep going back. Mm. Um, But for kids or people who are older who want to to be in the industry, it is wonderful and just you have to take it with a grain of salt and and try and find the lightness in it as well. But for, for kids who do study, I think there are not many stories like mine where you just get mm. suddenly you find a part. Mm-hmm. It's better to study and better to find find ways to study and, and meet directors and meet other people. The thing is if, if you're going to be, if, 
if you're going, if it chooses you, you have to do it. Yes. <laughs> so it's not, if you're umming and ahhing, if you're mm. going, oh, should I be an actor or, or should I be a performer, don't do it. Yep. You have to have to do it. Mm. That's my advice. Okay. Mm. And Rachel, you've, we, we've been talking about you going to Perth doing Wizard of Oz. Yes. So uh, we've got a lot of Perth architects that listen to this. They're going to be ex- is very happy that someone is coming from the other side of the country. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's very exciting. I'm playing Galinda. Yes. Which, and I will be flying. Yes. Which is really exciting. I'm so excited. Yeah, so come and say hi, everybody. And, <laughs> and what, are you, what else have you got lined up for next year? Mm, I've got. I've actually got well, quite a few wonderful out, out, outback concerts in South Australia. So I've got Arkarula, one in Arkarula, yes. in by uh, Watering Hole in Arkarula, Under the Stars, Black Tie. They're flying everything in and everyone in, and live players and everything. Beautiful with Michael Cormick, my the Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Then I've got Stone Wood Festival in Cleve, which is on the fifth of February with Kate Sobrano and Wendy Matthews and Mahalia Barnes. Uh-huh. So we've got that on the fifth, which is wonderful. And there's another one called Kurdamurka, which is in April with Troy Casadaly, and I'll be partnered that time with David Hobson. Oh, so that'll be yeah, he's gorgeous. Yeah. End of April, beginning of May. Uh-huh. So three times I get to go to beautiful South Australia yes. next year. I'm really excited. So there's quite a few events there, and also I'm directing. We Will Rock You and Back to the 80s musical as well, in between all of that. And also I'm doing the Byron Bay Cabaret. It's like a cabaret club end of January. So as I – oh, there's a few more things. But um, I'm I'm actually emceeing and singing at all of the Royal Flying Doctors balls across the East Coast too. So I love doing that. It's just a beautiful night. Mm. So I'm looking forward to that as well. So I'm bound to see everybody at one of those You are. We're going to make sure that we put all of those up on the show notes. Well, Rachel, (laughs) from seeing you in the audience, you have not disappointed in real life. Oh, you're beautiful. (laughs) we really appreciate your time and speaking to us and your insights as well, and I'm sure everyone else listening to it will too. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Thank you for creating wonderful spaces for us to be in everybody (laughs) out there if you have enjoyed this podcast please follow rate and review our podcast we are always looking for new ways to think brick if you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about there's a link in our show notes to let us know